We're going to invite your attention then to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 in a message I call Caught in a Trap. Uh, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. This passage makes a simple contrast for us, a contrast between the freedom which we have in Jesus Christ or the entanglement brought by the yoke of bondage, which comes with the addition of the law, or really, uh, it comes with the addition of any brand or version of human performance. It's interesting that he used the word entangled. Uh, that's often uh, used in reference to a snare. Now, in Bible times, a snare was a trap, of course, made of rope or vine, uh, in modern times, they're made almost always of wire. Uh, they were made with one purpose, to wrap up or entangle uh, whatever wandered into it so that it could not escape. It was very effective on birds and rabbits, other small animals, and uh, still is. It caught in a trap, and that's... Uh, uh, made me think of that old Elvis line, uh, and uh, caught in a trap, and I can't walk out. Well, uh, that's the name for my sermon tonight, today, caught in a trap. You see, the, the message of Galatians is designed to warn us about the snare of false religion. And we all need to remember that regardless of the names that are attached to them, there are really only two kinds of religion in the world. It's all there's ever been. Uh, the true and the false. Well, that's obvious. Uh, but all, uh, beyond that, uh, we see a true religion that is defined biblically, defined by God, as the one where people are right with God by grace, through faith, in Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing, saved by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ. The false religion is anything else. Anything else. And regardless really of what it might be called, false religion is always ensnared. It's always got that snare in it, what we could call the performance trap. It's human works, rituals to be performed, traditions to be kept, customs to be followed, things to be done or not done, prayers to be prayed. All of these things forming sometimes a complicated and complex system of human works combined with our faith in Jesus Christ, and it becomes a trap. Now, the Galatian churches were not immune from being ensnared by this, and neither are we. A good snare is always carefully hidden. And remember to the churches at Galatia, it took an apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul, to show them that this snare was there. Of course, the same Paul had to confront Simon Peter in Antioch, and we saw that uh, earlier in chapter 2 in this same book where Peter himself was being drawn into the keeping of the law, and, and Paul had to confront him. And now he is so seriously confronting uh, the church at Galatia Paul warned the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11 about how that Eve was beguiled, such an interesting word, beguiled by the serpent, to be drawn away from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. That's always the appeal. I want you to remember this morning that the gospel is so simple that a child 
will not be drowned by it. They can understand it. They can see it. It's a child can hear the truth of the gospel and be saved. But at the same time that that is true, the gospel is so simple. The gospel is also so profound that we can spend a lifetime considering it and never really plumb the depths of all that Jesus Christ did for us when he saved our soul. We're going to be walking around on streets paved with gold before we begin to really understand and fathom all that God did for us when he saved us. We can spend our lifetime thinking about it, rejoicing and thanking God for it. So when we think about the simplicity in Christ, it means that everything that we need is in Jesus Christ. What God has for us is through Jesus Christ. Don't be lured away from that. The lure of the law is just as strong today as it ever was. It just circulates under new names. Today it's called Messianic Judaism so that the teachings of Jesus can be, according to their ideas, only understood within the framework of the Jewish law. Now let me be quick to say that we agree that the New Testament can't be properly understood without a knowledge of the Old Testament. After all, it is one book, and it has one purpose, and that is the redemptive purpose of God in Jesus Christ. But we do not agree that it's necessary to go back and observe the Sabbath or to keep all the Old Testament days and ceremonies in our practice of the Christian faith. Now, if you think that that means I won't be preaching in a kuffa or wear a talith while preaching with a menorah in the background, then you're, you're right. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to do that. But there's a lot of guys these days who are. If you watch Christian television, you'll see them. If you listen to Christian radio, you'll hear them. If you read the books very much, you'll, you'll read, you'll run across this teaching. It's out there. Like the Galatians of old, we are being bombarded with the message that there's some deeper experience, some better understanding, some fuller life, some deeper spirituality that's available to us if we'll just put ourselves under the law, the Old Testament. It's still out there and is growing. Now, then and now, the Apostle Paul depicted all of this as a doctrinal and practical catastrophe. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 10, he said to them, You observe days and months and times and years. The lure of the law, as we noted a few weeks ago, was at least partially because of their background in paganism and, and uh, their worship of astrology and the looking in the stars that, that governed their days when it was a good time to do this or that. When they were in a good season or a good year, they had special years, special times. So they came to the law and they saw that same kind of lunar calendar and that uh, occupation with certain months and certain times and certain seasons and certain years and it all just kind kind of uh, fit in with them. And, and they saw that. And they were already doing it. They were already going back to observe a lot of the festivals and feast days of Judaism. Now they were considering the next step of circumcision. They were being brought into a trap. They had no idea of the consequences. And what it would cost them would be their freedom in Christ. All of these things about uh, the observances of the law were all wrapped up in that ritual of circumcision. 
which after already being lured then into the Jewish religion, they were considering it. But this snare, notice in verse 2, was going to have a profound effect on them. Look, behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Nothing. Verse 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you whosoever of you are justified by the law. You are fallen from grace. Now, obviously, Paul was talking about the Jewish ritual of circumcision. Uh, completely different today in the way that it is practiced for hygienic reasons. This was a, a way that they were embracing then the covenant of Abraham. The Old Testament and all that it meant with all of its ritual. Paul makes a full appeal to his apostolic authority in this passage. I, Paul, he said, I'm saying this. And so it comes to us then under both Paul's massive authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ, but even more because it is written down in God's book. It is part of the inspired holy scriptures. I, Paul, then say unto you that if you go in this direction, if you submit then to the law, Christ shall profit you nothing. You see, a supplemented Christ is a supplanted Christ. When they try to add the law in to supplement their faith in Jesus Christ, they actually push Jesus out of it altogether. Remember, we serve the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, Jesus said, except by me. And when we say to Jesus then, well, Jesus, you're a good way. Or maybe, Jesus, you're part of the way. Then Jesus won't have anything to do with that. So how does that come down to us? Well, it comes down to us, of course, in two ways. Uh, because there are two kinds of people, and there were two kinds of people in the church at Galatia uh, that Paul was writing to in these churches. Uh, that, and that is they were saved or lost. I want to remind you this morning that a religiously lost person is just as lost as an atheist is lost. And so let's look first of all at what it does to the saved. He said, I, Paul, say to you in verse 2 that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he's a debtor to do the whole law. Christ shall profit you. That word means to assist to help, to be useful, or to give an advantage. When the believer in Christ decides then that he or she must supplement the cross of Christ by his own works of righteousness, whether by the law or by something else, then at that point the profit or the assistance that Christ could offer is forfeited. You see, we not only are saved by faith, but we live by faith. The just shall live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And so the principle that uh, when we come to uh, this life living for God, living right before God, of being righteous in God's sight, of being justified, of being right with Him, then it can be by grace or it can be by works, but it can't be both. And you know as well as I do that it is possible for a person to make a bad choice in life. Sometimes it's a bad spiritual choice. And it can happen. Where people turn away from God, they maybe turn away from the Scriptures, 
they go in a certain direction. Like the prodigal son, they take what's mine, they leave the father's house, and they're out in the far country. God didn't chase him down. The father waited for him to come back. You see, we can do that. We can go in that direction. We can turn to the law. We can turn away from Christ. The Galatians could do that. But when they do that, the Spirit of God's not going to be helping you do that. You're not going to enjoy the sweet relationship that you have with God as you walk by faith and enjoy uh, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit as He moves in your life and leads you and directs you. If you go in this direction, Paul says, then Christ is of no profit to you. So the principle that we must put in place is that when it comes to being right with God or living right before God, we do this by grace. Paul said this in Romans 11 and 6, if it's by grace, then it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it's no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So by going in this direction, Paul says, you are obligating yourselves to keep the whole law. And James told them about that in James chapter 10, verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Now the law appeals to some people on on some level, and if you ever doubt that or wonder about it, all you have to do is go to church camp. And you'll discover, if you've ever been, then you'll discover, man, I mean, from the minute you're there, somebody's reading you the rules. And uh, I, I learned back a long time ago, man, that people take those rules very, very seriously. I had this strange idea back in my younger days at, at Bog Springs Camp, as a matter of fact, that kids ought to be able to go to camp in the hot summertime without having to wear long breeches. So I proposed, hey, let's let the kids wear shorts. Why, it was awful. It was a scandal. You can't be saved wearing shorts. I heard that. You can't worship God wearing shorts. I heard that. Well, you know, we've got a good thing going, and we're going to destroy our whole fellowship. We're going to divide the camp into a short camp and a long pants wearing camp. We, I, man, I'll tell you what. I found out real quickly, people take the rules serious. I'm so glad God didn't put us a dress code in the Bible. We'd be arguing about that till Jesus comes. <laughs> I could tell you a lot of stories about that, but I'm not going to. we got just a limited amount of time. There's something about keeping the rules that appeals to us. Now, the, the alternative to that is not lawlessness. You and I know that we need rules and we need law. We do. But when you get to the point where you say, well, this is how you're going to be saved. Well, you can't really be saved. You can truly be saved. You can't truly be a Christian and wear shorts. You can't truly be a Christian and wear makeup. I just want to tell you right now, put it online for the World Wide Web. Listen, I have never in my life preached against wearing makeup. Never happened. Uh, I'll leave that one alone and move on. <laughs> before I make it worse. But it's a truth. 
all kinds of things, all kinds of things that, that we put in as, as rules, and it appeals to us on some level. But the fact is, when we want to attach that to our standing before God, to our spirituality, then we're moving ourselves back under the law. And from that moment, if we're going to go in that direction, you go it alone. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God is not going to be helping you and prospering you in that journey. Christ shall profit you nothing. If they go in that direction, it was going to bring them right back under the bondage to sin that Jesus Christ died to get them out of. Stand fast, he said, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. And do not be entangled, ensnared again in that yoke of bondage. We would say to all of those who are trying to put people back under the law, what the Bible says in Hebrews 7, 19, the law made nothing perfect. It never did. It never has. It never will. So with all of this modern cultural teaching, all the people, all the preachers telling us about some fuller revelation, some deeper understanding, some better way of living that comes from the Jewishness of Jesus... Folks, we might as well be living in Galatia. With all of the emphasis on the keeping the rules and of being right with God and the adding in of some human performance to our way of being right with God, we might as well be living in Galatia. Because the issues that Paul brings up in this passage are still valid to us today. What it means to the saved. But then there's also what it does to the lost. Verse 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. There are multitudes of people who look at this passage and it becomes like a proof text to them. Paul said, you're fallen from grace. And they say, see, that means you can be saved today, but you can lose your salvation. I want to remind you that the same Paul that wrote Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4 and 5 or verse 4 also wrote Romans chapter 8 where he said that I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things nor present nor things to come neither height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now either Paul wrote this in Galatians and then later changed his mind when he wrote Romans and if that's the case then the Bible becomes unreliable and we're in a mess. But that's not the case. And so since it's not the case, Paul didn't change his mind or change his thinking, then we know that this passage is not somehow teaching us that you can be saved today and then lose your salvation. So what does it teach? I believe these people had fallen from grace in the sense that they never really got to grace. And I want to explain that to you. You see, the, the Judaizers, the people who were causing all of this trouble in the churches at Galatia to begin with, heard about Jesus. And perhaps they embraced him as being the Jewish Messiah. But as they were thinking about Jesus and contemplating about Jesus, it had become of no effect to them. 
They were cut off from him in the sense of a, a cutting horse that, that cuts off a, a cow. They were coming to him, but they were cut off. And what they were cut off by was their religion. Their belief in the Jewish religion that told them that they could be right with God by keeping the law. And they couldn't turn loose of that. They believed it then. They believed it still. And so that even though they could say, yes, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, they still believed they were right with God on the basis of their own works. Because of that, Christ had absolutely no effect on them at all. Though we don't agree with John MacArthur about everything he says, and he's a great Bible commentary and writer, uh, just watch him. I love what he said about this passage. He said, when a person disbelieves that all of salvation is all in Christ, then he cannot be saved by what he disbelieves. In a practical way, as, as we look at it in our world and in our day. You know, there, there's just been a whole host of religions that have been infiltrated with this idea of human performance, human works, and faith. And a lot of you, maybe some of you listening at home, grew up in a religion where uh, maybe your parents took you as an infant and you were baptized. Uh, you didn't have anything to do with that. You don't even remember it. You may have seen a picture. It meant a lot to your parents. But you look back at that experience, and if somebody asks you, well, you're a Christian, well, of course. Well, how do you know? Well, I was baptized as a baby. Doesn't that make me good? No. No, it doesn't. You say, well, that's a judgmental thing to say. Folks, I'm preaching right out of the book of Galatians. Paul was dealing with a group of people who were holding on to the fact that they were circumcised the eighth day. They were brought into the temple at 12 years old and they went through a kind of a confirmation deal. Their parents were Jewish. They were Jewish. They were raised in it all their life. Doesn't that make me right? That's what they thought. And Paul told them, told them you are fallen from grace. They never got to it because they came in believing that they were right and therefore they never believed on Jesus Christ. I don't want to be cruel with anybody. I'd never do that. don't want to be mean to anybody. I'd never do that. But I want you to know this morning that the Bible could not be clearer that salvation is by grace through faith. You want to see a passage? That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. As a little infant, you could not believe wasn't possible for you to believe. Since the Bible teaches very clearly that a person must be a believer in order to be baptized, then that's not uh, what it was all about at all. You were brought into a, a wrong place. If you hold on to that, hold on to that work that was done in your life, then that's going to keep you from experiencing the salvation that's available to you freely through Jesus Christ.
Well, we know this morning that, we're, that salvation is by grace through faith. And you say, well, Brother Rich, do you, do you think we're, we're holding that doctrine in question? No, I don't. I don't. I, I look around this and what I can see of y'all's faces. I'm looking at a bunch of people. For the most part, I know who you are. And I know where your faith is. I know what kind of people that you are. I believe your faith is sound and solid. But I must also tell you that I've seen a lot of people that surprised me over the years. People that I thought that their faith was set and solid, but they were beguiled away from it. Somebody came along offering them some deeper experience, some deeper knowledge. And so often today, that is somehow related to the Old Testament Jewish religion. And they bought into it. It does happen. And we need to be careful. I'm not trying to tell you that our church is the only one that preaches the truth. I'd never say that because it's not the truth. Many, many other churches are preaching the Word of God. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But I do want you to understand how serious a matter this is. Paul understood it. He saw what was happening. He saw the direction they were going in, and he knew, he knew, that if they were saved, it was going to lead them away from Jesus Christ so that their faith would be ineffective because the Spirit of God would not be helping them in their error. And he also saw how that many of them were being kept from being saved at all because they were holding on to their religion instead of going for a relationship with Jesus Christ. You go all the way back in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, you'll find the story of the Tower of Babel. Their men started building a tower that would take them all the way to heaven. The root of that tower, the whole premise of it, the whole purpose of it, was that men would get to heaven by their own works. When you read through the Bible, you'll find Babylon all over it. In fact, all the way over in the book of Revelation, it's still talking about Babylon. And that is because there are two kingdoms in the world, and Babylon represents the kingdom of man. That kingdom of man is going to have a fulfillment. It's going to be taken over, overruled, ruled. And it's going to be a man who has a number. The Bible calls that number 666. That's where it's headed. But it's all about man working his own way to God, man uh, creating his own utopia, man turning away from God, turning away from the gospel and going his own way. The cross of Jesus Christ has no place in that religion. It never has, never will. Thank God we know today what kingdom is going to win, don't we? We know which kingdom is going to carry the day. And that is the kingdom of Christ, represented by his cross. The kingdom of man, though, infiltrated and perverted the message of the old covenant and unfortunately has done the same thing in the new covenant, whether it's messianic Judaism or any one of a dozen others, hundreds of others, practicing the Sabbath, following the law in some form, or the Christian religion that adds in the works of righteousness or any other religion, and there are hundreds of them, thousands of them in the world, all of them characterized by the works and the rituals. 
but it's all the error of Babylon. They all have the performance trap, the snare. For about 400 years now, the people known by the name of Baptist have championed the principle of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We've also stood for the principle of believer's baptism. Before us, before Baptists, the people known as Baptists came along, there were other groups, other churches, many Christian groups, down through the centuries, some of them whose history is almost lost to us. But they preached and taught and lived and died for the same faith that you and I are preaching and teaching today. The principles of salvation by grace through faith, you see, have always been under fire. Paul would present himself in this passage as being a, a witness of these things. And that's the word martyr. He was saying that this is a hill to die on. It was then. It was for Paul. Paul would have been killed in, in, in Jerusalem. He would have been killed in Damascus. He lived in constant peril of his life. Why? Because he preached the truth. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. This is why that Baptists are not ecumenical. That's why we don't join in and partner up with every other kind of religion out there in the world. Why? Because when we see other groups that have added in human works of righteousness... Baptism, church membership, Lord's Supper, uh, the long list of religious do's and don'ts and rituals that must be performed in order to be right with God so that it's grace, faith, human performance, keeping the traditions, whatever. We've drawn a line with that. And it's a line I hope we continue to draw because it's a line on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, I've been accused of religious bigotry. Yes, I have. That was some of the nicer things I've been accused of over the years. Um, I've been told many, many times, well, you Baptists think y'all are the only ones going to heaven. That's not true. We don't. In fact, we don't even believe all the Baptists are going to heaven. Just say it. Folks, when you choose human works and embrace it, then Christ does not assist you in the performance of those newfound religious duties, whatever they are. If you obligate yourself to keeping the law or you're going to work your way to heaven, you're on your own. But when it comes to the law in verse 4 of Romans chapter 10, the Bible says very simply, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth in Christ. That ought to settle it for us. You know, the old covenant was to Israel as a people. It promised them God's blessings in the land of promise. Uh, the land would bring forth in abundance. Uh, their cattle, you know, would bring forth in abundance. Their sheep and their uh, livestock would all have twins and, and they'd all be fat and enjoy uh, the blessings and, and God would prosper them. They would live under God's favor and God's blessing. And because of that, 
I think many are wanting to turn back to that old covenant. It fits in well with the prosperity gospel that's been preached in so many places in America today. But it is anathema to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The true gospel is one that you and I must stand for. We must share with others. And above all, we must make sure in our own life, as Simon Peter tells us, make your calling and election sure. And I'm not here this morning to trifle with anybody. I'm not here to create doubts in you about your salvation. And I wouldn't do that to anybody. But I want you to consider and be very, very careful in your consideration of your salvation and your salvation experience. See, I hear it all the time. Well, I walk down front. I talked to the preacher. The preacher prayed. I got baptized. But I wasn't saved. Some of you right here in this building could tell that story. Because you see all of those things. Walking an aisle. Shaking hands with the preacher. Being baptized. I'm not telling you that making a public profession of your faith isn't important. It is. I'm not going to tell you that making a decision to be a part of a church isn't important. It is. I would never tell you that being baptized isn't important. It is. But if you haven't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, none of those things will make you right with God. You can live a life as a religious imposter. You can be pretty good at it. A lot of folks are. But salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. For some of you, it might be a tough thing to turn loose of that religious experience that you had. Though you don't remember it, when your parents took you and had you baptized, christened. It may be tough to turn your back on a lifetime of religious service and religious work. Well, I've, I've gone to church all my life. I've taught Sunday school. Folks, I've heard preachers give the testimony that I preached for a number of years before they got saved. You see, it can be easy for us, far easier than we perhaps have given credit for, for us to be beguiled like Eve was, lured away from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. So simple. Don't be fooled. Don't be led away. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Saved. Saved forever. It's not a passage in the Bible that talks about somebody losing their salvation and then getting saved again. It's not in there. It's not there. Saved forever by your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's stand together, please.